it's so important to get started young on this sort of stuff and it, it's it's life changing it really is life changing and i know i know people my age just flick through you know instagram and facebook to try and find the funniest video you know cat eating lasagna or something but just take a step aside <laughs> and just read an article on a, a blog or a read a book or listen to a podcast and really try and think where you're going to be in 10 years and look back and think you know I should have done that. I should have done that. Just do it now is would, would, would be my advice. And that's what I say to, to everybody I meet. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 119. Jace, what's going on? Not a whole lot, man. What's going on with you? Nothing really. Hanging in there. You sent me an article the other day. We went back and forth on it. It was kind of funny because, what was it? It was a guy who retired in a, was it a Holiday Inn? Yeah, he was just Holiday Inn hopping. Because it was cheaper to do that than live in somewhere else, I guess, an alternative. I didn't I didn't read the whole article. Did he sell his house and he just decided to live in hotels? Yeah, I think it was just that it was cheaper to live in Holiday Inn than assisted living facility, you know, and he's getting his he's basically like living there long term, right? So he'll go in and live in Holiday Inn and and this article's been circulating I think probably for like eight or nine months, but it's it's still kind of interesting because it was also paired with another article about a couple who's doing the same thing on cruise ships. And the idea mm. is that you basically have a beck and call waiter for your food if you want some, you know, and especially at a hotel, right? Like you've got the maid services and the, and the people that are always there willing to help you. And the longer you stay, the more attentive they are to, to your needs, especially what he was saying at the Holiday Inn. So he, he basically was using it as kind of a hack. He was saying it's costing him 50, 60 grand a year to kind of live in a long-term arrangement with with holiday Inn and this this other couple same thing on on these cruises you know they had everything taken care of and then you know nowadays with with the way that we've got uber eats and favor and all these delivery services i mean they were basically getting anything they wanted to eat for dinner uh every single night just delivered <laughs> you know i mean talk about a retirement dream for some people it's like man i can just hang out at the holiday inn I don't know if you remember those commercials from back in the day, but I don't know uh, the first thing I thought of. It made me laugh. No, the cruise ship is pretty interesting, right? Because especially some of these world cruises, they're, I mean, I've seen, aren't there some cruises that are like 80, 100 days or oh, longer? Yeah. yeah, we had some friends, my parents' friends, I think, went on a, a 90 day, like around the world cruise. So they're definitely out there. I mean, I, I don't know that I could live on a boat that long. You know, even if I'm retired, I think it sounds interesting to go for a longer period of time than, than maybe a week or two and maybe hit up some other destinations. But I think from the travel hacking perspective and the life hack, if you want to call it all these hack, hack, hacks, you get into these things and, and it maybe is cheaper than putting money into a facility. And, you know, the one guy was saying... I think he said that if, if you have an issue at Holiday Inn, they call the ambulance or something, and you get back and you have Holiday Inn free for life or something, too. <laughs> Holiday Inn free for life. <laughs> yeah. If you have an accident there or something. So, I mean, for him, it works. I think for some people, it works. I, I think you're going to see more and more creative solutions to retirement. You know, I don't think people, you know, RVs have always been out there. I think with the Airbnbs, 
you know, the accessibility of that. People are going to kind of change the way they retire. Maybe they won't get a second home per se, and maybe they'll bump, bounce around a little bit, uh, depending on where their kids are. You know, if you've got two or three kids in different locations, it'd be very easy to say, hey, look, I'm going to go spend, you know, three months there, do an Airbnb, or three months there, do an Airbnb, versus having a second home, you know, down in some warmer climate like Arizona, and then live up in Minnesota or the north or Canada or wherever, uh, you know, during the summers and get out of the heat kind of thing. And I think you'll see more yeah. and more of those, whether it's Airbnb, RVs, living on cruise ships, you know. It'll be interesting to see what kind of takes place as these baby boomers start to retire. All right. Here's a, uh, I just looked it up online while we're talking here, 37-day cruise for $2,500. So For $2,500? 2500 wow. Cape Town, South Africa to LA. So there's going to be a ton of sea days in there, but. Who, who, who's the line? Anyway, pretty interesting princess. For 2500 bucks. Yeah. Inter- interior like, stateroom probably, right? You wouldn't, you know. Still, I've been looking at going on, you know, just a regular cruise for a week and like prices are that or a little more expensive. That for double occupancy or just one person? Probably single. You got to look at the, you can look at the 90 day cruise ticker. No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Google the nine. One cruise on my life. Google the 90 day cruise ticker. It's vacations to go.com, but that they're not paying us to sponsor. They should be, but it's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting website. Anyway, enough of that rant. So last, uh, week we had Gigi. She's a stay at home mom together with her husband who works as an engineer, engineer, excuse me. They have a net worth of around $3 million. They have a terrific story and we discuss saving for kids education, buying used cars, serving others, which includes knowing who and how much to help somebody and living a frugal life. On today's interview, Jace, we have an interesting interview with Alex. He's younger. He's 24 years old and has a net worth of 140000 And we kind of went back and forth on whether to you know, uh, have him on the show because we wanted to reach some of the younger audience. But, of course, he isn't a millionaire. But I think with his story being so unique and living on a yacht uh, full-time, he lives on a yacht and services a yacht and, and saves, what did he say, 80 to 90% of his income, yeah. that I think the story is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's unique and it's different, right? Like, And that's one of the goals of our, our podcast is capture some of these stories, right? And this kid's going to be a millionaire. Probably His goal, he said, was, was before 30. So he's looking at like five to six years out. Like you said, he's saving 80 to 90% of his income. You know, and it's interesting because he's working for potentially a billionaire. We're not sure. You, you didn't let that information out. But somebody who's got a very high net worth, who's paying upwards of 10% a year just to maintain this yacht that they're only using two to three weeks. So it's a very interesting lifestyle for him. But he also gets to be around these people and, and their friends. And he also gets to go travel the world, you know, which a lot of people are dreaming about doing. And he's doing it for essentially free. Yeah, so really interesting story with him and and like you just said, kind of touches on some different things that we haven't heard before on the show and something that I personally uh, didn't really know was such a big area, right, of how much he's making, which is pretty good money and then obviously low expenses because he's got a chef on board that cooks all his meals for him and anyway, just an interesting story and then we'll have another millionaire interviewing next week. Uh, if you'd like to come on the show and, and share your millionaire financial story or if you're close to a million as we kind of try to highlight some of those so it can connect with other people, feel free to reach out or please reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily investment opportunities, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'll jump on a call with you to discuss those current opportunities and strategy. There's a long-term track record of high returns and success. So if you're interested in a syndicated real estate opportunity, multifamily, uh, again, our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. 
We're appreciative to all our guests, everybody who tunes into the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, if you learn from it, if you get something from it, if you're connecting with somebody, please re- leave a review, a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Also, we're working on our website to get some of these interviews up uh, on there and and, be, and bring to you guys, each of the listeners, an ability to connect with, with these millionaires and ask comments, follow-up questions that we haven't touched on or, or maybe missed. So, Without that, any further delay, let's get right into today's episode with Alex. Alex, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing now? Yes. Hi, guys. Nice to chat to you. Um, yeah, my name is Alex. I work in the yachting industry, and I also run a financial education website for people like me who are travelers and always on the road and how they can manage their money better to prepare them for a life after full-time travel. That's awesome. So I kind of want to get into how you got into the yachting industry and and that whole story. But first, what's your net worth today? And and maybe share your age with our listeners too, so they kind of have some context around that. Sure. So uh, I am 24 years old and my current net worth is about 141,000 US dollars. I am born and raised in New Zealand and live down in the South Pacific side of the world. Um, And so a lot of my content is sort of push towards uh, this sort of the world, but um, of course, you can adapt it to, to how you like. Awesome. And how is that broken up, the, the 140? Okay, so uh, more or less, it is broken down into about four or five core index funds. Um, I have about 12 or so K in the IDP6, uh, which if you're not familiar with it, it is a, it is a small cap 600 in the U.S., um, I have about 13 or 14 K in an Australian healthcare fund. And I have about 26 K in, uh, VUAA, which is the Vanguard's S&P 500, which trades on the LSE, um, and not on the NYSE to avoid, uh, estate taxes. And I also have some in VWRD, uh, which is a sort of total world index fund. I carry some in cash, and then I've got a few uh, individual stocks, a pharmaceutical stock, and a, a business sort of cloud technology stock in America, uh, which I just sort of play around with and have some sort of side money for them. But my primary, primarily, I focus on just slow and steady index funds. And, and as you put money away, do you typically put the same amount into each of those funds, basically, or kind of how's your approach in in trying to build your wealth? Um, sort of learning that as I go. So my, my main, uh, goal is to get as much as I can into BWRD, which would be Vanguard's, uh, total world index fund, because that one I'm going to keep plugging away at and it's going to be my retirement, I hope. I, I pretty much save about 80 to 90% of my salary and I probably put about 40 to 50% of what I save into BWRD, uh, maybe 20% into the S&P 500 and then the rest I divvy up for spending and maybe some individual stock money. But essentially, I'm putting all my money into the, the safe index funds. Awesome. And do you have a target of, what, of kind of when you want to get to the millionaire mark? Uh, as fast as possible, really. But um, I would like to, by, by at least 30, I'd like to be well on the way with over, I, my probably over around six over 600K, I would imagine, um, if I continue on my current uh, trajectory. 
Okay, cool. So let's get into kind of how you got into the career and the profession you're doing. You're, you say you're in the yachting industry, and I don't know very many people in the yachting industry. So how did you get into that, and kind of what does your your day to day look like? As as you say, you travel a bunch. Yeah, it's it's quite a a unique industry. Um, so it, essentially, there's a, probably maybe a hundred thousand um, people like me in the yachting industry, and uh, what we do is service and crew uh, or staff the Yachts owned by millionaires and billionaires. So they have huge boats anywhere from 20 meters to 180 meters. And they can either be private or public, public being chartered. And, uh, I serve, so I work on the exterior of the vessel and, um, they come on board and we take them to wherever they want to go. I believe Richard Branson and Bill Gates will have these yachts. And so we're all sort of a small community in the yachting industry. It's, it can be quite cutthroat to get in because it's very competitive, uh, because of the, of the savings lifestyle and the total lack of expenses and the travel. Um, so I got in by uh, dock walking, which is essentially when you walk along a dock or into a marina with your CV and you just speak to people who are working on the boats and say, Hey, do you have a job? Here's my CV. It's very, uh, demoralizing because about 99% of the time is you get faced with a rejection, but it, it's primary sort of catch is, is the zero expenses and the travel and the free food. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So yeah. so where were you when you did this first dock walk? Uh, I did it in Auckland, uh, New Zealand. So I was sort of a, a big fish in a small pond. Um, it's now becoming very popular through social media and through some reality TV shows such as Below Deck. Um, so Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale uh, the south of America, I think they have some marinas in Georgia, Savannah. Um, it's becoming very popular. So now it's much more difficult to, to find work. The best way to do it would be through word of mouth and just, I guess, networking is the best way to, to find a job now. Yeah. And you can't tell us whose boat you work on, right? I can't tell you. I, I, I want to, but I can't. <laughs> and how many days are you, I, I guess the better question, what are you doing when, when the boat isn't anywhere? Or I guess it's always somewhere, but when it's not being used, what, what fills your time then? Yeah, it's, it's that's a great question, which a lot of people have, and I, I struggle to answer. It's it's so much that you wouldn't even believe. Constant maintenance and fixing and painting and repairing. So on the boat I'm on, it's 164 feet, and it's got 10 full-time crew. So that is, we have 10 of us living in a, a small space all the whole year round, basically. And when the owner's party aren't using it, we are pretty much just maintaining it. It's it's almost like a house, but if your house had to be perfectly maintained and manicured 100% of the time, it's, that's sort of what I would equate it to. So there's a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of work. Yeah. So pay, let's talk big picture pay. You don't have to tell specifics or whatever you're comfortable sharing here, but what does somebody expect and does years of experience uh, impact that or the size of boat impact or what's kind of the driving on pay and what could somebody expect? Yeah. So. The pay, there, there is an industry standard and it does depend on, on time, uh, time in industry and what sort of tickets you have. So as a, a sort of entry level deckhand, you'd be expecting probably anywhere between two or three thousand US dollars a month. And then as you go up the ranks from there, so you can go from deckhand to a lead deckhand and then a bosun and then a first mate, a captain. So obviously as you rise, you get paid more. I would say my my sort of average where I am now being a bosun, my average pay 
if I had to spread it throughout the industry, it would probably be between four and six thousand US dollars, depending on the size of the vessel you're on. Now, a lot of the larger vessels that are coming through into the industry, they offer what's called rotation. So you might get a slightly less pay, but you only work six months of the year. So you'll do a, a two on, two off sort of rotation. And that is really sort of the goal for, I think, most, most yacht crew. Um, but you do take a pay cut, but you have your lifestyle back. I suppose the salaries can be quite low, but you've got to think that you're also not spending any money on anything really in, apart from personal entertainment. So when you look at it like that, it, it sort of equals out to be quite good. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So food is all provided? Yes. Yeah, so food, there's, a, there's a, a chef on board. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner is provided um, on weekends and toiletries. I mean, and anything you could, you could live on the boat for months on end and not spend any money. This is the boat I'm on. Not every boat is the same, but yeah, you could, you could literally live expense free for as long as you wanted to, as long as you could put up with 10 other people in a small space. Yeah. And have you been on the same boat your whole career this far or have you, have you rotated? So I've, I've did, I did a, a few months on some smaller boats when I was starting. Um, but yeah, primarily this has been my first and only gig and I've been just, just over three years now. And throughout that time, I've had, um, two promotions to the position I'm in now, which also involves a qualification called a yacht master. Um, so it's not just sort of time seniority. You also have to be qualified in certain ways. Uh, but yeah, I've been in three years and I would love to ride this out and just work hard and put, put some years in now and then. To almost, you know, retire by or be fired by probably mid thirties would be an achievable goal. Hmm. And do the promotions come because people left, or they, they take a promotion on a different boat, or they decide to take a new opportunity, or how does that kind of work? Yeah, so all, all three really. In my particular case, um, the person above me was on board for three years as well, but he had started before me, and he wanted to transition into um, into land life. And so he moved to Australia and has, has, has started his own thing there. And because I had the experience and now the qualification, I got shifted upwards. But yeah, a lot of people move for a lot of different reasons. Um, but the, the most common one would be the person above you just leaves either for a better position or a different opportunity. And then you get naturally shifted up. Yeah. So f- for us normal people that just sit in an office here and rot our lives away, how many, how often do you, how often do you travel? Do you, how long do you stay in one location? I mean, what, what's that like living on a boat? You said close headquarters, 10 people. Give us maybe a little sense of what that's like for somebody who can't comprehend that other than being on a cruise ship or a vacation. Yeah. I'll just start by saying sometimes I'd love just to be in an office, by the way. But the, <laughs> it's, it's, I'll, tra- it's I'll trade in- you for a month and then we can go from there. <laughs> Sounds good. It, um, it's, it's quite notes. an intense lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, a typical day when you're just in the, at port, so in the dock, um, uh, would be just a normal work day, a seven till four, eight till five, you know, whatever it might be. Um, your commute is, you know, about 10 seconds from your, from the front of the ship into the what you call the crew mess so it would be sort of the kitchen area and then straight onto deck but that's Mikey Mood is the shortest ever and in terms of how long you're away for my particular vessel has been situated in the south pacific for the past few years and at the end of last year we did a uh, you call it a crossing from australia to chile and that was about two months of of sea time and um 
you do what you call watches. So you don't work as such. You do four-hour rotations. So you might have a 12 to 4 midday to p.m. And then you might have a 12 midnight to 4 a.m. shift. And I suppose the benefits are you get to see amazing places. Fiji, Tahiti, the Galapagos. We're now in Chile. And, uh, you know, you see places that you wouldn't normally see. But you do also lack the sort of normality of a lifestyle of going home every day and cooking dinner and that sort of thing. Because everything is so provided for you. You don't really have much control over what you can do. Um, and it's, it's very traditional and hierarchical. So, you know, the captain is a ruler of the ship. So whatever the captain, maybe he or she says, you do without question, which I suppose might differ from, um, an, an office lifestyle. But it's very, um, intense, but it's also very, very rewarding because every day is, is different. And, you know, one day you could be arriving to a beautiful port in Australia and the next day you're driving one of the boats around an iceberg pointing out sea leopards you know so it's it's varying and very very rewarding but at the same time it can be very tough yeah so average day you said seven to four eight to five ish yep so we would start that's uh, right now we're doing seven thirty till three thirty, which is you know quite a breeze um and we'll have a breakfast from nine till nine fifteen lunch till 12 to twelve thirty. everything is prepared so there's no sort of preparation time and then you go straight back out to work and after 3.30, after you've finished, unless you're on watch, which would involve staying on board the vessel for 24 hours, so from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock the following morning, you can go off and do whatever you like, uh, which is a common misconception with the industry. People think that we have to stay on the boat all the time. Uh, it's not the case at all. We can, after work, you can go out and do whatever you like, much like any other job. As long as you're, you know, at work the right time the next morning, you can do whatever you like. So... Alex, how does time off work? Do you, do you get certain amounts of time off if you wanted to either visit family or explore an area or visit a friend? Do you get a certain amount of time off or how does, how does that all play out? Yeah, it's, again, it depends on each boat. Um, with the rotational side of things, if you're to do, you know, two months work and two months off, um, you, you would just plan everything around your two months off on the boat. Um, I'm currently on. We have 28 days leave. Um, however, the captain is very generous and he often gives a discretionary day. So you might get a long weekend here and there. Or if you're taking a leave, taking leave, you might get the weekend off before to take off sort of thing. But because you're pretty much at the mercy of whenever the owner's party wants to join the vessel, if you have a, a, an event, a wedding or a funeral, something you need to go to, sometimes you just have to forfeit it because it's just the industry and it's what you signed up for. So it, it can be tricky and it's a very transient industry and it's very common for people just to, to quit the yacht because they weren't able to go to, you know, the funeral or the wedding. Um, and then just jump on another boat after they finish whatever event they're going to because there are so many people coming and going all the time. Um, because people, you know, can't hack the lifestyle or they're not, or they're not interested. Jobs come up very quickly. Alex, I gotta ask, you know, people listening to this. How often is an owner actually using or, or putting that vessel out and going on a vacation or going and seeing another island? How often are you out from, from where you're normally docked? Yeah. Um, so my first year, we, I probably had the owner's party on for a total of 20 days maximum out of the whole year. And then the second year picked up a little bit and maybe six weeks maximum. Um, and then. The year just gone, it picked up a little bit more, but it's, it's on this, on the program I'm on, it's never going to be more than, 
I would say, two months maximum out of the year that they're going to be wanting us to meet them somewhere and to take them out on, on as an excursion, as, a, as their holiday. It's really not that often. A lot, what a lot of other people do, so the owners of the yachts, they will charter the vessel to offset, offset the cost of keeping it in port and paying the crew full time. Sort of the, the industry rule of thumb is 10% of the, of the value of the vessel is, is the running cost. So if the vessel costs $50 million, it's $5 million a year just for staffing and, and, and berthing and things like that. That, that doesn't include Having a va- the owners having a vacation and food and fuel. It's simply if it was just in the port. So chartering is a, is a popular choice for some owners because it allows them to offset their costs. But on the program I'm on, it's just purely private and they use it at their disposal. We, I should also mention we do have another vessel. So we're actually a two boat program. I sort of work on the, on the yachts, if you will, on the luxury side of the things. And we have. Another vessel, which is about 170 feet, that follows us and we, we work together. And they carry helicopters and, I mean, and anything you could, anything you could imagine, guys, you can do on the water. Anything you could imagine. So it's just bizarre to see from, from my end of the thing, you know, just having a normal upbringing. It just blows your mind. Yeah. No, that's kind of crazy. So you're basically working for nine months of the year, call it 10 months of the year. You've got a month off with some holidays in there and whatnot. To basically be ready for those two to three weeks that, that the owner wants to use the boat, correct? Yeah. It's essentially, it, it'll be sort of in, in odd times. So it might, we might have one, you know, 10 day trip in February and then there might be a, a seven day trip in July and then one more in December. You know, it's, it's very random. You have to sort of be ready at all times and it's also privy to changing at any moment as well. Interesting. So I, I got to ask too, just for our listeners. Is this a, a pretty viable way to pursue fire? People that you work with, is this kind of their plan is, hey, I'm going to kill it for five years or 10 years. I'm going to save all this money because I have no expenses and I make pretty good money. And then I'm going to take off and go to a different industry. You know, it is for me and probably for a few a few people in the industry, but it's just, it's not known. The, the whole sort of concept of fire and saving hard and investing uh, in my opinion, isn't really that accessible to people in the industry, um, which is sort of what I'm, I'm trying to spread. So, so the answer is no, I don't, it's so sorry. The answer is yes, it is viable, but no, I don't think many people are doing it simply because the awareness isn't there. Are most people kind of doing what you do mainly to just travel or be around these ultra wealthy people or kind of what, or is it just a job for a lot of them? Um, I think that most people do it for the travel and the money um, and the lifestyle. And for a lot of people, short term, it's it's a, a summer holiday, it's a, a summer job or a job for a few years to have some fun, make some money, do something different. But then you settle down into more of a traditional lifestyle because, again, it's such a sort of bizarre, intense industry. But it really is, if not the most viable, it is it is very close up there for. An, an amazing industry to become fire as quickly as possible. Interesting. Now, when you're out with these these folks, the people that you work for, these owners and stuff, are you able to have much interaction with them to maybe learn how they invest or how you know what they're kind of doing with their investments to be able to afford a yacht like that and and use it for a few weeks a year, or do you not really have a ton of contact with them to have those kind of conversations? No. So yeah. We don't get much contact with them, uh, sadly. It's, I, I would love to, but it's, it's very much, uh, 
a strict professional. We are there to ensure the, the safety and the safe driving navigation. And, you know, we're not sort of buddies and, and friends as such. We are there as a professional a, a relationship. So you, you know who is coming on board most likely or who owns the, the, the yacht you're on. So you can sort of do your own research, which I've done for my particular um, owner's party. And so that's how you do your research, but there's no sort of personal relationships. Hey, where do you invest? Can I get in on that? There's no, there's nothing like that, which is a shame because if there was, I'd probably be a millionaire already. <laughs> yeah, right. I just looked it up, um, to charter one of these things just so people know. I think Jace is going to take us out on this, but, uh, 50, I mean, anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 a week. So oh, that's on the more. cheap side, dude. Yeah. yeah I don't think the, the I don't think the 50,000 a week is good enough for me. So we're going to go for the, the hundred. Yeah. It's probably like 50,000 a day. Yeah. No, I'm online. Charter, charter, charterworld.com. $100,000 a week. Where at? Monaco? I don't know. Let's yeah, see. it's a huge, a huge range. It's I mean, probably like out of Maine is fifty thousand dollars a week. You go to Monaco or yeah. you go to down to Australia in the South Pacific. I guarantee it's way more than that. I mean, you got to figure. Yeah, he just told us it's five million to to service or ten percent of the cost. It's a fifty million dollar yacht. I mean, you're looking at thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars a day just to have the thing sitting there. Just to, just yeah. sitting there, it's costing yeah. that much money. So I, right. I would I would think that. Once you throw staff in there and profit and everything else, I mean, I I wouldn't be shocked if it's fifty thousand dollars a day. To, so, it, it, to rent Alex, things. if they rent it out, you're on. You stay on board for all of that too, right? Yeah. So you we you are, work with who's ever coming to to visit. His doesn't charter yeah, so, out, but if they did, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you would you would stay on the yacht and you would do a charter season. So maybe it's six months of the year in in the good weather and wherever it is. So Bahamas, for example. And you would stay on board and you would just have, you know, back to back charters and you would get tips. So that's the benefit of being on a charter vessel is you can get tips, which is, I forget how much it is exactly, but it's something like 10% of the total charter cost or something. I can't remember what it is, but I, I've heard stories and I have personal friends who have come away from a, a season with 40 grand plus in cash or, you know, they'll do a 10 day trip wow. and they'll get a four grand cash. A bonus at the end of it, so it's very lucrative. And yeah, I mean, one one hundred thousand for a charter is is on the lower side, possibly for a smaller vessel. For a sort of fifty meter or one hundred sixty sort of foot plus, you're looking at I would say a minimum of two hundred thousand dollars a week. But that doesn't include any of the fuel or the food or the uh, extra activities you want to do or the tips. That is simply just a step on the vessel in the port. It does not include going to sea. Or anything that that involves. Yikes! How much gas is you to used? Yeah. So I mean, for example, on on the boat I'm on, every time we we fill the tank, it's about eighty thousand eighty thousand Australian dollars, which could be maybe sixty five thousand US dollars just to fill Ooh. the tank. And how long does that last? Uh, depends on how fast the captain wants to go. Uh, it can last anywhere from I suppose five or six days at a slower speed to maybe two and a half or sort of 20 hours to 35 hours at full speed. So it's it can go pretty quickly. And you've got to run generators um, and all the other things that go with, with actually keeping the vessel alive when it's not connected to the dock. Money Buckets Clark's going to be the one taking us, spending thousands, thousands to two thousand dollars an hour just to fuel. Uh, yeah, we, we, need Tesla, we need Tesla to make a couple of these. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. 
That could be a new investment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna, sure we're there yet. We're still trying to, Elon's still getting the cars all, all figured out perfectly yeah. in the trucks. Sure. But hey, you know, sure, I would yeah. love to, I would love to see an electric yacht one day or electric boat and that'd be cool. I think they have hybrids already, but yeah, I don't think there's anything uh, purely electric yet. Hmm. So let's talk finances here. You said you save about 90%, 80%, 90% of your money. How do you handle things? And this is actually ironic because we had somebody write in to us and, and ask this question today. But how do you handle things like taxes and, and insurance? Yeah, so, so insurance is taken care of the company side. So the, I'm, in, I'm employed by an American corporation. So I just have insurance through them. And so I don't deal with that. A, a small section of my salary comes out. I think it's like, 10 or 12 dollars every month for that uh but tax wise i because i'm a new zealand resident um, or citizen i should say they offer a non-tax resident program so because i spend more than 283 days uh i think of the year out of new zealand i don't have to pay tax in new zealand so all of my worldwide income is tax-free and i'm only taxed on my new zealand-based income which includes dividends house rental and that sort of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. So, do you have any stuff, Alex? Um, I don't have any stuff. I'm, I'm a bit of a minimalist. I don't. A lot of yacht crew do because they get paid so much. They buy crap, basically. Um, but no, I don't have any stuff. I have everything in a backpack, and I'm ready to go, stay, or do whatever at any time. Can Amazon deliver there, or how do you get your stuff? Like. I mean, I'm just trying to think logistics. Like you're out on the boat, is can Amazon bring it to you, or does it have to get delivered to like a physical address? So you're really not getting your stuff until you like go inland. What is he? What is he going to order? What, I don't what know. I mean, stuff? maybe he wants a new shirt. <laughs> oh, so we're we're in port. So we we um just like a container ship would be in the port. We're in the port, and we can go off to the the malls and the shops around. Where, so right now, I'm actually in Argentina, uh, Argentina right now, but. The boat is in Chile, and so we can just walk around the, around the town there and, and buy stuff. And in terms of the actual vessel getting stuff, food and whatnot, again, it's the same thing. You just get it from whichever is your local port, um, just like you would in a house, but on a bigger scale. So, But Amazon's not delivering, though. Amazon does not deliver. Dang, man. Uh, it's not going to work. I need Amazon to deliver. I had three Amazon packages come today alone. Oh my goodness. I know. Yeah, it's no, great. I, I just click and buy and click and ship and it just shows up. I never have to go grocery shopping, never have to do anything. You just Amazon it delivered. I wouldn't recommend uh, yachting <laughs> for you then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got two kids, you know, so I got to get stuff. I got to order new sippy cups and diapers and all sorts <laughs> of junk, you know. So, Alex, we talked a little bit about moving forward and kind of the goal to be millionaire, obviously, and, and be financially independent. What? How much do you think you need to be financially independent? Are you kind of a, a 4% withdrawal rate kind of guy, or, or what's your plan there? I'm sort of figuring that out as I go because the, with the whole 4% rule and the 25 times your annual expenses rule doesn't apply to people in, in my industry because um, our expense – our, our expenses at the end of the year cannot be uh, transferred to the land because when we come to land, obviously our expenses will hugely increase. So right. I, I, I don't know is the answer. I don't think that a million, like it, it might be enough mathematically, but personally for me, a million isn't enough. Um, I would like to have a bit more of a security uh, sort of buffer there. But I suppose before I um, 
I become a millionaire or the, the way I would like to get there is through uh, my business and to eventually become location independent and utilize geo arbitrage to then continue a high savings rate whilst, uh, you know, learning languages and enjoying different cultures. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good for you. So your family there back in New Zealand? A little bit mixed. So uh, my dad and uh, my stepmother in, are in New Zealand, and I have a bit of a mixed family. And I have my mum in Dubai, soon moving to Amsterdam with my sister, my stepbrothers in Sydney, and my other stepbrothers in Scotland. So I have an international sort of uh, family, and um, I spent some time um, in Dubai as I was growing up as well. So I have bases sort of through my family roots, which I'm very fortunate to have, where I can also do arbitrage um, and live, I suppose, almost for free again in, in actual houses this time as opposed to a boat. Yeah. So your investment portfolio, mostly index funds, right? How did you kind of come up with that allocation? Do you think it'll stay the same as, you know, you're, you're young, obviously, 150,000, let's call it net worth, 24 years old. Do you think that allocation is going to stay the same? Do you have, you know, goals, aspirations to buy real estate at some point in the future? Or what's your thoughts there? Um, so... On, on the real estate front, I'm not sure yet. Um, I, I know that people like real estate because it's tangible and they can sort of physically see their money. Um, but I, I just see it right now as, as too much work. And because we're out on the ocean, uh, we don't always have good internet connection and the, and the time to actually uh, keep on top of these things. When we have the owner's party on, we're working 16 hour days. So it's, it doesn't, it wouldn't really be conducive to that. So. I plan on keeping my, my portfolio as it is and just, I suppose, contributing as much as I can each month or whenever I can. I might dabble in a few more individual stocks, which I know is, is criminal, but I enjoy it. And it, it came about through, so my girlfriend gave me a book uh, called The Barefoot Investor. Which Wait, you have, a girl, you have a girlfriend? I do have a girlfriend. On board or, or she lives in New Zealand? No, she's on board as well. We both work oh, there you go. I was going to say, man, how do you ever see her? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we both work on the bus together, which is very fortunate. So she gave me a, bu- a book called The Barefoot Investor, which a lot of your Australian and New Zealand listeners would probably be familiar with. And so he, he's a very prolific, um, sort of, I suppose, financial coach, uh, counselor in Australia. And I read his book and then I got chatting to, um, some family members who were already investing in property. Um, my mom, my mother is a, quite a prolific prolific but a savvy real estate investor got chatting to her and then from from there from sort of researching index funds i found choose fi and then from choose fi i sort of meandered through um the mad scientist and pat flynn I, his name uh his podcast name escapes me now but pat flynn and uh, the money guys and a few other guys like that um, and from there, I found Facebook groups, and then I found um, a guy called Mark Zorrell. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all. I'm not, personally. Okay, okay so this isn't a, a paid ad, of course, but Mark Zorrell is a, an American index fund-only advisor, and he is pretty big in the, in the FIRE community. And I contacted him because I wasn't sure about my tax situation or how to begin. Um, this was a, over two years ago now, and um, he suggested a few funds, and so I I sort of merged my, my own research and my own interests with what, uh, Mark had said. And from there, we, um, we sort of made a, a portfolio. And ever since it's been doing well and I'm, I've kept it. So that, that's sort of how that happened. And that's where my whole interest in starting my own sort of coaching or education site, if you like, came from. It's just a, a passion of mine. I just, for some reason, like this stuff, but like you guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, good for you. Good for you. And obviously, congrats on your success at a young age and, and what a fun and interesting story. So just wrapping up here, Alex, what's maybe some advice to somebody who's either in the yachting industry or somebody who's young? You know, you're young and you've built up a, a high net worth relative for your age and obviously have an extremely high savings rate. How have you been able to do it? What have you focused on? What have you kind of let go? What's your advice to somebody? Yeah, so I suppose my advice is, is to anyone in the industry, but also anyone who is sort of running a nomadic lifestyle, traveling on the road, isn't sure where to put their money, how to work around their taxes, how to send money, transfer money, what have you, is just just do some research. You know, this there is so much free information online nowadays through podcasts and books and blogs and what have you, videos. And even if you don't want to do that, the paid services aren't that expensive and just get started because it's so important to get started young on this sort of stuff and it's it's life-changing it really is life-changing and i know i know people my age just flick through you know instagram and facebook to try and find the funniest video you know cat eating lasagna or something but just take a step aside (laughs) and just read an article on a, a blog or a read a book or listen to a podcast and Really try and think where you're going to be in 10 years and look back and think, you know, I should have done that. I should have done that. Just do it now is would, would, would be my advice. And that's what I say to, to everybody I meet, um, whether it's through my website or in the bar. I say it's not that difficult. Just do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific advice. So just in closing here, tell us about your blog, themoneydoc.com. What, what, who's that for and what can people find there? Yeah, so um, it's just a site I made as a Facebook group and, and a, an Instagram as well. And it's essentially a, a financial education and coaching service, a website for, it's for a yacht crew right now, but again, it can sort of relate to anybody who is living in a, a, a nomadic international sort of lifestyle. And it, it just seeks to educate them on what, you know, what index investing is, what, what it looks like to save money. How fees can be detrimental to your business matter, um, whatever you're invested in now, I suppose. And it's, it's small stuff like that. And it's simple. And I've just started, but I'm hoping just to spread the word about, about fire and just about personal finance, literacy and education, because I think that it's a huge fault in the schooling system worldwide that people aren't taught about this sort of thing. And there's a huge society of debt creation and debt almost promotion. And I think it's imperative that we sort of empower people to start doing things on their own and start saying hey wait is that really what i want to do do i really need to do that how you know so it's just about trying to empower people to make their own decision and do some diy investing um and essentially just educate them and say hey it's not that hard you know sort of pull your socks up and you know get it done get started yeah awesome good for you well thanks alex it's the moneydoc.com net worth of about 140 mid-20s thanks so much for coming on the show today really interesting story really Really new, something we haven't heard before on this show. So thank you. Uh, It's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.